0: Earlier this week, I was speaking with my son, Alan, who is also a minister, by the way. I told him that I would be preaching a sermon on why we celebrate the sacraments in our churches. And he said, that's a difficult one. You could teach a whole class on that subject. In fact, not just a class, a course. And when I did teach a course, I devoted several two-hour lectures To the history and theology and how to do the sacraments in our churches and uh, if that business about two hours makes you uh, check your watch and feel a little panicky don't worry I'm not going to do that this morning in fact Alan's only semi tongue-in-cheek suggestion was to say why do we have sacraments in the church because Jesus told us to and then sit down. Well, you may be disappointed, but I'm not gonna do that either. I'm just going to share a few simple ideas and tell you a few stories that may illustrate them. In the first place, you know, Alan is at least half right. Jesus did tell us to perform the sacraments, to celebrate them. They're not something that we made up long ago that, so that we could have extra-long church services every once in a while. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all, na- of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And just as I came up, I I, I checked your communion table. It's a communion table, not an altar in a Presbyterian church, by the way. I checked the communion table because most of them, not this one, it turns out, actually have part of this next verse carved on them. Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And by the way, verses like those are why we have two sacraments in Protestant churches while Roman Catholics have seven. Because these two can be traced back to Jesus himself. And they're for all Christians. We perform marriages we have ordinations in church but you can be a a perfectly good Christian without ever being married you can be a perfectly good Christian without ever being ordained in fact it may be easier to be a good Christian if you're not ordained but the sacraments aren't just about commandments they're not things that we have to do whether we like it or not because Jesus told us to Rather, I think it would be at least as accurate to say that they are gifts from Jesus for us to enjoy and in them to find delight. It may be hard to believe, given the way we sometimes carry out the sacraments, but the verb attached to them is, after all, celebrate their gifts, their good, after all, you, you don't bathe your much loved first baby because you have to do it, because it's a commandment. Nor do you want a bath or a shower after a long, dirty day of work and you want to be clean. It's not just a commandment, it's a gift nor do we share food and drink, bread and wine with our closest friends because we must do it. Eating and drinking with our friends is a gift. And this is the first simple idea in the sermon that the sacraments are gifts from our Lord Jesus of his own presence with us. Now I need to tell you that there is a problem other than the simple fact that uh, any thorough explanations of the sacraments would take far too long for a sermon this morning. The other problem is that Christians have often fought both in words and in print and sadly enough with actual physical weapons causing blood and death about the sacraments. And I don't want to go into that at all today. Because I believe that one of the functions of the sacraments is to increase our love, our love for God, and our love for our neighbor. Something happens to us in the sacraments. The Apostle Paul puts it this way about baptism. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him through baptism into death. In order just as Christ was raised to new life, we too may have a new life. The sacraments are about a new life of love in Christ. In the first of the sacraments, we are joined to Jesus Christ, whether it's as a small child brought into a church by our parents or whether by our own conscious decision. That's an argument we don't need here this morning. In either case, we are brought into relationship with Jesus Christ and granted something of his new life. We are joined to his death for us, his great love for us. We share his life. Remember that word sharing. Uh, What happens on this table here is usually called communion. And if you want a non-church, non-theological word for communion, here it is. It's sharing. We celebrate on this table in front of you the sacrament of holy sharing, sharing with the Lord Jesus, sharing with one another. That begins with baptism. One of the richest experiences in my life was to serve a term as a member of the Executive Committee of the World Alliance of Reformed Churches, as it was called at that time. In 1997, the general Council of that body met in the old Protestant city of Debrecen in the very east of Hungary, almost in the Ukraine, by the way. My term culminated with that meeting. Now, Debrecen is a city that stayed Protestant through the rule of the Turks, the persecuting ultra-Catholic dynasty of the Habsburgs, the Nazis and the communists. The the church high school in Deberson is apparently the only church school behind the Iron Curtain that never closed all through the days of communism. Now, in a world conference, a very large percentage of participants 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 can speak English either as their first language or second or third or fourth language and so when it was announced that for the first Sunday of the conference the sermon would be translated into English at the so-called little church of Debritson most participants whatever their national origin decided to attend uh, the little church seats about 1200 people by the way And by the time my wife and I arrived, it was nearly full. And in honor of the event, most of the people who had come to that conference wore their national garb and attire. And it was quite a sight, believe me. But the service began with a celebration of the sacrament of baptism. A very young couple, perhaps I think in their teens, that young, holding what was almost certainly their very first precious child, was led to the font. The young mother looked around and saw this enormous congregation drawn from every race and every nationality in their national garb. And they were standing to recognize and to welcome into that fellowship her precious child and she burst into tears. The right reaction. Another simple idea we're we're not baptized into. We don't share the table only with our local fellowship here on Spadina Avenue or wherever your church may be. We celebrate it with a Worldwide fellowship, the one holy Catholic and apostolic worldwide church, a great and noble fellowship. And what is true of every baptism was merely visibly true that day in Debson. But both the sacraments do remind us of something in the past. And that is, quite specifically, as Paul says, the death of Christ for us. And in communion, whenever you eat this bread and drink this wine, you show forth the Lord's death until he comes again. Now, this isn't just forming a mental picture in your mind of something in the past. It is making something in the past present in our life. It is making it real in our lives. It is making real and present to us, as present as water, as present as bread and wine, the gift of Christ's self-giving love one of the great teachers of the Christian faith, a man called St. Augustine, called the sacraments visible words. The sacraments do the same thing as good preaching. They point to the love of God made known to us in Christ Jesus our Lord, in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. But with the sacraments, it's not just a matter of words only. One of my professors used to say that the main Protestant organ is the ear. We hear the word as the Lord tells us. Now, hear the word of the Lord. But we don't have just one sense. It's not a matter of hearing only. All the senses are involved as we taste and see that the Lord is good we feel the water of baptism we taste the bread and wine we smell the richness of the bread and the wine we feel the touch of water on our heads the sacraments convey the richness of god's love through all our senses what a what a gift and in them something that happened in the past the death of christ for us christ's great love for us made known at calvary It's made present to us, made real to us, conveyed to us now. It's another simple idea. But, But here's one more simple idea. It's not just about the past, it's about the future also. When that child or that adult is baptized, it marks the beginning of something, a a new relationship, a a life we hope of service and of love for others. God's future is good. You know, when, when you talk about heaven, when you talk about what is to come at the end with a capital E, You can only talk about things that you do not yet know in terms of what is already present we can only talk about heaven in the imagery that is the best thing that we know and for the bible the best thing that we know is not in fact harps and halos and clouds it's a feast it's a feast and doesn't that make sense i mean what's better than a family feast especially in in a place like Palestine where they're always on the edge of famine? What's better than a feast where all the family is together? What's better than a feast where there's not a child in the corner crying out with hunger? At the end, it's a feast. And the bread and the wine of our holy sharing does not simply point back to the death of Jesus on the cross, though that is most certainly true, it also points forward to the feast. I remember when I was a little boy, we used to share Christmas and Thanksgiving and other special feasts of the year with my dear Aunt Letty and her family. And I remember one time when I was very young and barely able to see over the kitchen table and I went into the kitchen and there was Aunt Letty standing there and there was that great golden bird appealing to all my senses and I looked over the table at that turkey and Aunt Letty took a knife and cut off a little tidbit just a tidbit the size perhaps of A piece of bread on the communion table and she gave it to me and she said because you're special and I love you and I was loved and that little tidbit was a promise of what was yet to come, the feast. Early in my teaching career, when I was quite a young professor, I had a student named Laurent who was a mature student of Dutch origin. And Laurent was of a considerable age by the time that he attended Knox College. And we were talking about this idea of an anticipation of something yet to come. And he told me about something that happened at the end of World War II in in what the Dutch people, and I imagine that there are some people of Dutch origin here, still call the hunger winter. And in that dreadful winter, most of the country was still in the hands of the Germans and people were starving, quite literally. Tens of thousands of people died that winter from no food, particularly in the big cities. It was a dreadful time. And the terrible situation of the Dutch people became known to the Allied chiefs in London. And with the intercession of the Swedish Red Cross, they arranged to ship flour somehow to the Netherlands and and even more. They arranged with the Germans to fly bombers laden not with munitions of destruction, but food. And they flew at 3,000 feet over the Netherlands and dropped that food by parachute to the starving Dutch below. And they name, that they gave that operation. And by the way, the Germans honored the arrangement. The name that they gave was Operation Manna. It was bread from heaven. And Lauren told me that he still remembered The bread made with that flour and the meal with those foodstuffs that had fallen from the skies, from heaven itself. And he said it was the sweetest, most wonderful bread that he'd ever tasted in his life. Because it was not only a filling of their physical bodies, it was a promise of what was yet to come. It was a promise. It was a promise that the long time of occupation and terror and death would soon be over and they soon would be free. It was the promise of what was yet to come. That's also what these sacraments are. They are a promise to us of what God has in store for us cleansing a feast may that bread that bread of the day to come be granted to us also but back to Debertson Patty and I arrived, we weren't late, but we were very close to being late and there was no room in the main body of the church and the balcony was almost full too. Uh, There was a choir up there from just across the border into what had been the Soviet Union until very recently at that point and was now the Ukraine. And we actually sat down at one end of the benches that the choir was on. And we could see that there was an older woman there who was the choir master and she looked fierce. If anybody whispered or made any noise, she would glare at them. She looked fierce. She wanted everything to go exactly right. Wasn't gonna put up with any nonsense. So we sat down And we listened to that sermon that was to be translated from English into English. And it was a sermon by an old minister at that point. And we found out that as a young minister just ordained in 1946, he had been arrested by the KGB, corrupting the morals of youth now corrupting the morals of youth in this case was preparing them for confirmation making their commitment to the Lord Jesus they had sneaked a camera into the church and taken pictures of him preparing the young people for ordination for confirmation Uh, they arrested him in the middle of the night took him to the station beat him a little and they asked, Who is this doing this thing? Now, he had just become engaged. He had all his life ahead of him. But he did not deny what he had done, nor what he believed. And he was sentenced to 10 years in the Gulag. And I've always wondered since that day whether, whether there were times in the Gulag when, when he wondered, is, is it worth it? Is it worth all this trouble? But in 1953, seven years after he was imprisoned, the dictator Stalin died in great pain and alone in his misery because nobody dared go into the room where he was dying and after his death there was at least a partial amnesty of political prisoners and and the minister went free back to his home and his fiancee had waited for him she was the older woman she was the choir leader No wonder she wanted everything to go well. And when her husband had finished preaching, she stood up and the choir stood and they sang a hymn in Hungarian, an old gospel hymn that was translated for me and it was about Jesus walking on the water. And in the hymn, the disciples complained to Jesus. They said, do you not care that the storm is around us? Do you not care? And in the hymn Jesus says, "Peace, be still." Do you not know that even the winds and the waves will obey me? And the Hungarians who could understand the words of the hymn they wept. Friends, it is with such people that you share the font of baptism and the elements on the table. It is with them. And thanks be to God. Amen.